You're listening to the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Well, here we are, less than two weeks from Christmas, but only one day away from the MasterChef Canada holiday special, which airs tomorrow night at 8 p.m. on CTV. Now, in studio with me, I have two of the judges from the show, and I'm very excited to have you both in here. They're both chefs and restaurateurs. Michael Bonaccini, co-founder of one of Canada's leading fine dining restaurant companies, Oliver and Bonaccini. You've got 11 restaurants in Ontario, 11 and counting, like... 11 and counting is yeah. right, exactly right, Paige. And uh, Claudio Aprile, <laughs> often considered one of Canada's most celebrated and visionary chefs, oh, wow. uh, is the owner behind Order Fire Restaurant Group, which includes the Origin Restaurants in Toronto. So welcome, thank you for spending your Sunday evening with me. Thanks for having us. I know that you guys are like gearing up for a bit of a, like a mini press tour because of the holiday special, right? That's right. Tomorrow, uh, well, I'm up at, uh, I think, 4.30 in the morning and getting it's ready. It's a beautiful time to be up. It is. You get, <laughs> get a lot done. done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so no, tomorrow we, uh, we'll, we'll be all over the place uh, mm-hmm. spreading the good news that uh, the holiday special will be on later on that day. So, of course, there's the th- third judge, Alvin, who is not with us tonight, but uh, it's the three of you who sort of um, decide the fate of a lot of home cooks on the show. That's true. Absolutely, and we enjoy every moment of it. And, well, congratulations. Season one of MasterChef Canada was actually the most watched Canadian series of the 2013-2014 broadcast year. That's a big deal. And you're a part of that. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Listen, when the numbers came out, I didn't really understand what they meant. I never, I still don't understand numbers when people tell me about ratings. Is is (laughs) 1.72 million people, is that a lot? Does that mean, I I didn't get it. But apparently it's a good thing. And, um, you know, we're, uh, I think we're all very, I'm very proud of it in the... We had delights on it. It's been a great. Okay, so let's recap the show for people who don't know. Michael, can you maybe give me a little summary of what MasterChef Canada is? So what MasterChef Canada is all about, it's about taking really enthusiastic, passionate home cooks who think they have what it takes to possibly become a professional chef, to possibly change their careers, to become the next MasterChef in Canada here. And uh, they go through various auditions. We select it down to the top 16. As each week rolls by, they are presented with various challenges, single challenges, team challenges, uh, in on, on set, off set, until we whittle it down to the reigning champion of uh, that particular season that becomes uh, MasterChef Canada. Yeah. And the winner of season one was actually a very young guy. Incredibly Eric. young. I mean, Eric. Uh, I mean, I keep saying the kid because he is a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, he graduated from uh, university at, what, 21 years old? That's right. Degree in engineering. And then he uh, enters enters this competition and wins it. He's extraordinary. Yeah, young guy, 21, 22 years of age, a chemical engineer yeah. who uh, really, uh, he, he, he took it. He won it. He, he was incredible. Absolutely now, when incredible. I watch the show and I look at some of these challenges that the contestants um, are, are taking part in, I can't imagine some of those timed um, like pressure challenges that they're under because they are, well, they're amateurs. They're not professionals. They aren't experienced and perhaps, you know, taking um, a look at having to serve 100 people and knowing what needs to come first and, and the order of doing these things. Were you amazed at, um, I guess, some of the challenges that they were put that they were put under? Like, would you have been able to pull off what they pulled off? 
Uh, I, I could do it for sure. <laughs> of course you could. <laughs> I mean, listen, I've been doing this all my life. I'm, I've been literally cooking for over 30 years. Um, but I was astonished by what they were able to do. I mean, it was incredible. There were moments in the competitions, especially during the off-site challenges, where we were like, there's no way they're going to pull this off. And at the 11th hour, mm -hmm. they did it. It was incredible to watch. There's a lot of talented home cooks out there, and, and when the pressure is on... They seem to be able to dig deep and uh, come through, uh, in many cases, extremely well. Very, very strong. It was, it was great to see. Great to be a part of. I just want to remind our listeners that um, the show is live and you can uh, interact if you like. The phone number 416-872-1010 or star 8255 on your cell phone. You can also text in at 71010. Michael and Claudia will be here until 9 p.m. Um, season 2, I know, is in the can. It will debut winter 2015, so presumably in the new year. Uh, we'll get to see this. So auditions you had across Canada this summer, and then you narrow it down to the top 16. What surprised you about the applicants in general? For me, it, it was this being the second season, uh, how many talented home cooks were out there? How many people that I sat there and thought, geez, all of these people, are they, are they doing this because they want their moment of glory on TV? Are they doing this because they think that they have this incredible talent and want to possibly change careers or, or get into the food business somehow? And there were so many individuals who who loved to cook, who loved to uh, create new dishes, who had such diverse uh, backgrounds. That's the, the, the part that really surprised me over mm -hmm. these auditioning people. How about you, Claudio? I was just really shocked by the the talent. I mean, they have so much talent. Listen, season one, they did a great job. The difference between, I think, season one and season two is that the season two contenders had the opportunity to watch mm -hmm. season one yes. and study it and understand it and know what to expect. Um, and I think it was really our jobs and, and the production's job to throw them a few curveballs because a lot of things happened in season two that they had no idea was coming at them. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. And it's, it More is, surprises. Oh, it's, it is packed with surprises from <laughs> so many levels. Um, there were many moments where we were looking at each other and thinking, and I can't give it away, is he or she really going to do that? <laughs> and then they did it. And then we'd be like, wouldn't it be cool if they tried this? <laughs> and they did it. Oh, wow. Over and over and over. So yeah. I think this is going to be the type of television that you're not going to be able to turn away from. Now, during the audition process, because I'm, I'm sure thousands of people turned out, um, so during that process when you're starting to whittle it down to come up with the final 16, were there some dishes that you just can't forget? Because surely out of <laughs> yeah. all these people, we well, were yeah. presented some very uh, interesting dishes, and I, and I mean in a good way and a, and a bad way. Well, I was about to say in a good way and a bad way, there were some <laughs> dishes that were unforgettable, some I still have nightmares about. Please describe one. Um... Like just something that stood out in your mind. Because remember, mm. like this is a home cook who's trying to impress you <laughs> with this dish. And yet you're looking at it and going, ah, this is... Which season? Either one. <laughs> it can be in jet, like, you know. Um, um, law of averages will tell you that you're going to get some dishes that just do not cut the mustard. They really don't <laughs> yet. For example, there was one a home cook who would come up with a soup, if you recall. And you could almost turn that soup upside down and it would not fall from the bowl. Wow. It was just... It was like wallpaper paste. <laughs> Yet this individual thought it was absolutely the best soup and for sure they were going to get into the uh, top 16. It was going to work for them. 
unfortunately it didn't it did not yeah it's almost uh, i guess the the analogy might be you know watching one of those singing competitions yes where you see this one person comes on and they they have all this bravado and they show up on stage and then out comes the screech <laughs> and they think it's incredible they are so proud and you just have to let them know that they suck <laughs> you have to tell them this ain't going to happen for you who is telling you you're a great cook? Yeah. Let me. I want to know who they are because they're lying to you, <laughs> right? Um, but that's also tempered with incredible talent. There's some mm -hmm. cooks there that shocked us, that belong in a professional kitchen, that belong um, in in the cooking world. Did you notice, um, I guess, tr uh, similarities or trends based on region, in terms of ingredients or the dishes that they were making, like? You know, where people who are applying from the East Coast making something quite distinctly similar with other East Coasters, but very different from, let's say, West Coast prairies. That sort yes, of thing. I would say East Coast was definitely more around the seafood side mm -hmm. of things and, and sort of very homey and, and hearty and, and, and earthy. And the same for the West Coast. It was uh, a, a good amount of, of seafood, whereas if you were coming more into um, the sort of uh, Calgary, Alberta area, it was definitely... Uh, more carnivorous, let's, let's say that. <laughs> yeah. Meat heavy. Meat, exactly. Very exactly. paleo positive. Paleo positive is right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break in a minute, but I just want to remind our listeners that they can call in if they like, 416-872-1010 or star 8255 on your cell phone. You can also text the show at 71010. Michael and Claudio are here uh, until 9 p.m. We're going to talk a bit more about uh, MasterChef Canada's holiday special, which airs tomorrow night. Also, you know, I've got two experienced chefs in studio. So if you have a question you want to ask them, now is the time. If you need some help with your holiday entertaining, this might be the time to, to ask them a question because we're live here on News Talk 1010. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk more about the holiday special, of course. And I want to also ask the two chefs where they like to eat in the city. Well, maybe we'll get your, you know, take on the, the hidden gems. And paychen.com is the website if you want to uh, catch a show that you may have missed and also on Twitter at paychen. You're listening to the paychen show here on News Talk 1010. This is the paychen show on in-depth radio. News Talk 1010. Welcome back. Thanks for joining me tonight. If you want to catch up on a show that you've missed, paychen.com is the website. The podcasts are there. You can also find it on iTunes. And you can, if you wish, watch the live broadcast of this show on Newstalk1010.com. I've got uh, Claudio Aprile in here with me and Michael Bonaccini, both chefs and restaurateurs, and both of them judges on MasterChef Canada. Uh, tomorrow night, we were um, talking about this a bit earlier, is the MasterChef Canada holiday special. So it airs at 8 p.m. on CTV. What happens during the special? Tell me about it. Well, four of uh, season one's uh, dynamic cooks come back with their families, mm -hmm. and we get so to they see cook with their families. They cook with their families. So uh, Tamara, Dora, Marita, and Pino mm -hmm. are all back, and uh, we get to put them through a variety of tests and see how they perform. As Claudio says, they're, they're with their families. Some have brought uh, their children with them. Some have brought their. Uh, grandmothers their parents so it's it's different it's different members of the of the family 
And uh, some of the challenges are all about cooking, some are about dexterity, some uh, are there for just sheer uh, thrill and enjoyment <laughs> of, uh, of, of the ride, and others we're just breathing down their necks heavily and watching the clock as it ticks by and putting the pressure on. It's, uh, it's going to be a great, great show, a great special, great family special, that's for sure. I'm sure it must have been nice to get together again with some of them because they made it quite far in the competition. And usually once they leave, that's it. They leave. You don't expect that maybe you'll have an opportunity to make television again. Yeah, definitely. This is a, kind of a, a redemption kind of vibe to um, the holiday special. They're coming back to to show us what they've learned, to show their families what they went through. Mm -hmm. And because it's one of those experiences, I think, for the home cooks that it must be difficult for them to articulate to their friends and families what it's like to be on oh, the MasterChef right. Canada set. Yeah. I mean, the set in itself is 50,000 square feet. It's the biggest set in Canadian history. It's a beautiful set. Beautiful, and it's a beast. Yeah. It's, it's very intimidating and... Uh, it really does separate. It's, it's, it's a daunting set. I mean, it, it, the scale alone is, is enormous. Mm -hmm. And these are four of the um, the fan favorites. So uh, it's great to see them with their families and get to understand a little bit more about the individuals, where maybe their interest in cooking came from, a little bit about their background, their heritage, and they bring bring a lot of that to the to the family special because. Uh, you know, celebrating the holidays, it's it's about uh, diversity, it's about uh, family tradition, it's uh, about what we do today, it's about what my parents used to do, it's what we did as a kid. I think yeah. it's, uh, you really get to understand them and, and see a little bit more of these fan favorites. Uh, just a reminder to our listeners, too, that uh, we are live, so you can text in at 71010 if you want to ask uh, Michael or Claudio a question. You can also call 416-872-1010 or star 8255 on your cell phone. Um, you're two of the three judges on the show. So Alvin is the one that's missing. And we get to see a little bit on the show, uh, the three of you sort of like whispering and deliberating on, you know, who should leave, who should stay. Did you often agree or did you often disagree? It was a combination of the both. Um, there were some cooks that had undeniable talent and, and therefore I think we all agreed. But there were cooks where, you know, I guess maybe Alvin might have thought they had more potential than I thought. And it was, it was sometimes it was very challenging. And because there are three three judges, uh, I mean, there can't be a tie, and that's that's uh, mm -hmm. the, the ultimate uh, goal is to pick a winner of that particular challenge, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And there were times when we would deliberate for 20, 30, 45 minutes or more, and it would come down to reviewing photographs of the food, talking about the cooking technique, uh, the, the flavors, the textures, the use of the key ingredient, because these challenges at, at many times came down to the differences of, of the nuance of details in terms of identifying a winner. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I think we all we all dug, on a, dug our heels in every once in a while <laughs> yeah. when we felt strongly about an individual. I mean, Michael, you probably, you know, I mean, if, I'm not sure if you, if you forgot or not, but I can't get into great detail, but there was one situation where we had to redo the entire challenge because of the technicality. So oh, we're very wow. serious about making sure that things are done properly mm -hmm. in a fair manner. Everything matters uh, on the show. There's a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that most people would never be aware of. Um, but this is real cooking. The, ju the, the judging is based on great flavor, mm -hmm. execution of, of, of amazing dishes. Um, nothing is fixed. It's very accurate. So we take it very seriously. Well, you seem to. And uh, and I think that's a question a lot of people have when they watch competition shows is, you know, oh, was this set up? Was this real? Was any of this staged? Was any of this decided in advance? But this is a show where it's very authentic. 
It's, a, it's honest. It's a very sincere depiction of what a home cook is capable of under extreme conditions. It is. I, I think the idea is that, you know, you, you have this challenge. Uh, they learn about it. They run into the pantry. They pick their ingredients. They decide what they're going to, to cook as, as they're running along and running back into the kitchen. The challenges are if it's a 60-minute challenge, it's 60 minutes right on the last second. If it's right. 90 minutes, it's 90 minutes to, to, to the T. And you're, you're really creating the atmosphere of a professional kitchen because in professional kitchens, the clock is constantly ticking. The appetizer's got to be out, the main course, the next table is in, they're ordering, they've got to pick up this, they've got to pick up that. And that's what you really want to create is that real pressure in that mm -hmm. kitchen. And some will crumble and some will uh, like cream rise to the top. I was amazed at how many of them did that in heels in the first season. Like, oh, so are we. <laughs> I was really shocked by that. You gotta look think, good doing uh, it too, right? Uh, yeah, I think, absolutely. Uh, Kayla really, she's she's the queen of heels, you know. I mean she really pulled it off. I mean, kudos to her. She's one. a fantastic cook and she did it in heels. I feel like there's some extra bonus points to go yeah. in for that. Um now both of you have lived in Toronto for a very long time, mm -hmm. both cooked for a very long time as well. So you know the city. Um, yeah. Want to talk about some of your favorite places? Some of the places yeah. that you enjoy eating? You know what? This is actually great timing because I found a hidden gem last night. Great. I want to know it. It blew my mind. <laughs> really? I wish I had the business card on me because I want to give the number. I, we found this little restaurant in Richmond Hill just on a strip mall. Not a strip club, a strip mall. <laughs> was it next that to was a strip album, club? It was next show. to a strip, strip club. My, my wife and I went. Anyway, and it was called um, uh, Szechuan Legend. You, you oh Instagrammed my. a photo <clears throat> oh, last night, was, right? It was incredible. And, and I, I got instant respect from the, uh, the server who I think owns a restaurant. I ordered all the right things. And she was like, oh, oh you know impressed. your food. And I went, yeah, I know a little bit about food. <laughs> and... Uh, I ordered this pig ear uh, appetizer with this kind of almost like a sweet sour sauce, but it was very light, almost watery mm -hmm. with cucumber. It was just outstanding, really outstanding. And did you just stumble upon this or did someone tell you like, hey, when you're at the strip mall, check out this place? Well, no. I mean, we were going to go check out um, Asian Legend. I think yes. it's called Asian Legend. Yeah, they've got a few and in then the I, city. And then I noticed... I noticed Szechuan legend. I thought, yeah. isn't that cheeky? Someone just took the name legend and put Szechuan in front of it. <laughs> we'll fool someone with this. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, and, and there was a, this incredible aroma yeah. coming out from this restaurant. I, uh, oh, that's great. And that was it. And I went in and um, I had the most incredible meal. I had this uh, cumin walked lamb. It oh, just, wow. It blew my mind. Yeah. And okay, then, so Szechuan yeah. legend in really Richmond good. Hill. Is there a major intersection? Uh, Highway 7 and uh, East Beaver Creek area. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be easy to look up. Someone just needs to, like, Google that and, and find that. So that's your new your I'm new going back. Gem. You're was, going back? It yeah. was incredible. That's amazing. Michael, how about you? I'm going to have to go there. Yeah. Try that out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are, there are so many great restaurants that uh, open in the city and continue to open in the city. It, it's tough to keep up. And go to all of these restaurants, and you know, being a, a part of uh, the dining scene in Toronto, I, I feel it's it's almost an obligation. You have to go and check out as many restaurants as, as you can. Um, so there is one that it always comes to mind for me that is is a small hole in the wall type place. It's on Bloor Street, just by Bathurst. It's uh, Tacos Al Asador. It is uh, it's a Ecuadorian. Classic. It is. It is yeah. it's on the north side. Just wonderful. Very, very small. You get everything from goat's head soup to the freshest and uh, most beautiful tasting guacamole. It's, it's just a wonderful one. How do you say spot. that? Guacamole. Guacamole. You did that very wow. well. 
We gotta th let's let's do the rest of this this uh, interview in in a Mexican accent. <laughs> I don't think I can <laughs> master that. Let's do that. <laughs> I sound so. But it is. It's tough to keep up with uh, the city of Toronto. Wouldn't you not agree? Tell you. It's incredible. I mean, what fifteen hundred restaurants opened up last year? Is that that's right. is what that I the hear. number? Wow. Yeah. That's impressive. Yeah. It is hard to get around to all of them, and I think it's uh, people look to you know, chefs and, and other people in the food industry for their suggestions to help sort of filter it down and, and real and figure out, you know, what are the top five places I want to visit in the new year? You know, where do I want to spend my money? That's the other part of it too, is if I'm going to spend my money, where should I go? You know, and uh, and people look for those sort of suggestions. Um, so I want to remind everyone that uh, the guys are sticking around with me. Uh, until 9 p.m., I've got uh, Claudio Perlet here and Michael Bonaccini, both chefs and restaurateurs in the city, also judges on MasterChef Canada. The holiday special airs tomorrow night at 8 p.m. on CTV. And then season two is to come shortly in the new year is what I'll say. All I got was winter 2015. So I will assume... So mysterious. It is. And that's all we got, too. Yeah. That's all we know. You know, winter's <laughs> at the beginning of the year and at the end of the year. So I just assume that it'll be earlier in the year. I mean, we know when we're shooting season three, but we have no idea when season two will air. <laughs> <laughs> so it will, you know, more info to come, I suppose. Uh, you're listening to The Paychance Show here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. To interact with Pay, text 71010 on your cell phone, star 8255. Or toll-free, 416-872-1010. You're tuned to The Pay Chen Show on News Talk 1010. Hey, welcome back to the show. I'm joined by two of the judges from MasterChef Canada. Both are chefs and restaurateurs. Claudio Prile from Order Fire Restaurant Group and Origin Restaurants. And Michael Bonaccini, co-founder of Oliver & Bonaccini with uh, 11 restaurants in Ontario. So uh, we do have a caller here, and this seems to be a bit of a theme. People are very interested in your lives at home. So we're going to go and talk to Samantha wow. from Thornhill. Hi, Samantha. Hi. Hi. I'm a huge fan of Chef Michael and Chef Claudio. I love MasterChef. Oh, you do great. I, actually, guys, can you hear her? With a, what, do you want to pop on the headphones? You do and that. Then, uh, we've got, so you're a huge chef of the show. I'm a huge fan of the show. And what is your question for My them? My question is, uh, do they cook gourmet meals at home, or are they more of a roast chicken and salad type guys or open up a can of soup? What do they eat at home, and do they cook for their families? Well, Michael, that's, that's you a want great, to start? That's a great question, Samantha. Thank you for uh, calling in and asking. Um, I I don't do a huge amount of cooking at home. Sunday nights, I like to do pasta, and it used to be a tradition with my son. We would cook pasta together, but uh, that, that's a big night for me to sort of cook. I usually like to eat very, very simple and humbly when I'm at home. It is, it is roast chicken. My wife does a braised pork shoulder. And if she's listening right now, I know she's going to cringe, but I'm going to tell that story where <laughs> she will do this braised pork shoulder using uh, Campbell's mushroom soup. And she'll <laughs> add wonderful fresh <laughs> mushroom soups to it. And she does a great basmati rice. And I just love that, especially on these cold, cold winter days. So for me, when I eat at home, it's, it's very, very humble and simple. Unless I'm cooking for guests that come over and I'm entertaining, then I do the cooking. Claudia, what about you? What, what's your home go-to meal? I like to keep it simple, usually in a 10 to 20 course tasting menu. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too cook complicated. For, and you cook for at least six hours, right? 
usually a six hour event and I yeah. uh, like to eat for about six hours as well. <laughs> That's just breakfast. <laughs> Right. It gets more complicated as the day progresses. Yeah. You know, a little bit of hunting <clears throat> followed uh, by a great meal always satisfies me. A jokester. <laughs> but do you cook, like, will you do something a bit more extravagant when you're at home or are you just sort of a simple meal? I'm pretty simple. I eat the same thing pretty well every day for breakfast. I usually have an egg white omelet. Uh, very clean. I like to try and stay as healthy as I can. And, uh, Dinner, I usually graze a lot. Typically, mm -hmm. that's what I normally do is just I nibble all day long. You know, I, I go from restaurant to restaurant just nibbling off cutting boards and <laughs> stovetops. And um, that's that the way I eat. Meal. I usually eat, yeah, yeah. staff <laughs> meal. And uh, just I'm, I'm, I'm a real grazer. I yeah. think that's, uh, that's worked out for me. That's good. All right. Thanks so much, Samantha. Thank you, Chef. Thanks, Thank Samantha. You. All right. So, you know, let's talk a bit about how you guys got your start in uh, the restaurant business because you know you were chosen to be on the show because you really know what you're talking about. You weren't just two random selections. Wow. Um, <laughs> so you know, It was a natural both... selection, I think. <laughs> a little bit of that, too. But uh, so, Claudia, let's start with you because you've been cooking over 30 years. Wow, we've only got... How, 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 much, uh, how much time do I have here in this answer? Um, how much time? <laughs> about as long as it takes for you to cook your 10 to 12 course dinner. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> Well, my story really started off when I was about five years old, and I told my mother that I was going to be a chef one day. And what startled her is that, uh, and stood up for her, was that I, I told her I would be a chef one day. Um, my grandmother cooked, my father cooked, my mother cooked. Um, when I was 14 years old, I got a job at a steakhouse and as a dishwasher. Mm -hmm. And I found that the, the cooks had a better lifestyle than I did, <laughs> you know, better pay, mm -hmm. uh, you know, more, more uh, prestige. They got more of the ladies. <laughs> and um, I decided to uh, try to learn how to use a knife, which, uh, which I cut myself quite often learning how to do that. And I ended up uh, taking over the salad bar in this, uh, this one restaurant. And from the salad bar, I found my way into the, into the main kitchen and... Uh, it's really all I've ever done. I've been cooking ever since. And, so you uh, knew from a young age. It wasn't like this happened to you or you decided to, to go into restaurants uh, later in life. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know how I knew. Uh, I don't know if it was a fluke or what. But once I got into the kitchen, I really felt that I belonged in that kitchen. And there was a real sense of family for me and uh, just a place where you, 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 you're part of craft. You're part of... Uh, how to put this uh, craftsmanship? You know, you you butcher fish and then you you clean fish and you cook it and you serve it to people. I found that it was very rewarding to be in a profession where you you could see something from A to Z, and mm -hmm. um, I, I find that part of the restaurant business very rewarding. And Michael, how about you? You also grew up uh, sort of in the business. I did. I, I come by it honestly. It's, it's my parents that I uh, have to blame for getting into the restaurant business. Uh, before they became uh, hoteliers and restaurateurs, they were in uh, the farming business. But uh, my parents owned and operated three hotels. They were uh, country inn resorts that were open seasonally. And as uh, the family running the business, we all had to participate. And uh, my father was uh, was the chef in the kitchen, did all the cooking. My mother was a not a very good cook. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he, he, coming from northern Italy, was uh, was able to make uh, a lot of great things uh, taste incredibly well. And uh, I fell in love with cooking probably 
at the age of 14, I figured, geez, you know what? This is this is a great thing. You you can cook, you can create, you can feed, you make people happy. It's uh, and I started off by baking, baking breads, doing desserts and pastries because that's what my father did not like to do. Uh, my sister uh, became a chef. She went to cooking school, became a dietitian. I went to the same cooking school. Her husband is a dietitian. I have a brother in Australia that was in the food business. I have a brother in England that got into the food business. Wow, it really so runs in the family. It, it's wow. part of the DNA. It really is. So, uh, yeah, my brother was, uh, he used to work for Pedigree Chum, uh, help working on uh, pet food, domestic pet food for cats and dogs that had digestive problems. So it's the food business in a very, very different way. But you know, I want to get that thought out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> but cats and dogs are, are are people's family as well. They, they are an extension of our family, and in some cases, they they are our family. You're absolutely right. So for me, I I love everything about food, not just the cooking, the eating, uh, knowing where it comes from. The, the way it inspires you as you walk down the high street of the fruit store, uh, traveling to different parts of the city and, and seeing different supermarkets and the ingredients they use. It's uh, its fantastic. It, it will never go out of fashion, never go out of style. And food, hey, it's an important part of yeah. any diet. Everyone needs to eat. Now, you both have children. Um, yeah. Do Have your kids shown any interest in, in following your footsteps, Claudio? Well, I have a six-year-old daughter. Her name is Isabel. Um, she's actually going to be on... Um, a little talk show tomorrow with me. Oh, very nice. Uh, cooking together. I think she enjoys cooking. Uh, my son definitely is, uh, I think he might, you never know, he might, uh, you know, lean towards being a chef. I don't know yet. He's 12. He's 12. Um, but yeah, listen, we, we cook a lot at home. It's uh, it's fun. I mean, I really enjoy doing it. And I really feel that way. You know, get, you know getting back to your question about cooking, you know, I feel that it's, it's one of those professions that I would pay to do. Like, mm-hmm. I really... I wake up and I'm excited. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> Season three contract. Claudio will pay us to be a part of this show. I never said. I never said television. Oh yes, that's true. <laughs> television is a lot of work. Um, but no, I, I I'm just I wake up happy because I love cooking. I love being in a kitchen. I enjoy the culture, and uh, you know, for me, not, not to get too sentimental, but it really helped me. You know, during my my younger life. You know, I, I was, uh, you know. Um, in, uh, I was a, a child in it from a broken marriage, so um, I ended up in group, you know, group homes, foster homes, and uh, cooking for me and being in a kitchen was at that time the only place that I really felt that I was part of something. Mm-hmm. There's a very, so, there's a family atmosphere to kitchens. Oh, I mean, cooks are incredible when when it comes to loyalty. Um, you know, when I was a when I was a cook, I, I remember how I would feel, and the cooks would 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 act if someone would disrespect the chef in the kitchen. Like, that, those are fighting words. You know, you just didn't do that. The cooks would stand up and protect their chef. It was all, like, the chef was God. Yeah. They were very, um, very loyal to that one person. And in many ways, I think chefs have that responsibility. I don't know if they're aware of it, but they're mentoring uh, younger people mm-hmm. who look up to them. And um, they watch their actions. They listen to their words. They're learning so much more, I think, um, than just cooking from a great chef. I think a great chef can teach a person how to how to behave properly. You know how to how to respect nature, how to respect one another, how to work clean, how to be organized, how to be punctual. There's, There's a lot so- of discipline that comes with being a cook or a chef. Yeah, and there's a lot of responsibility uh, in being the head chef. You know, the person who calls the shots because you have this brigade that's looking to you. You know, mm-hmm. for advice and direction and not again not just in cooking there and every in all aspects of life yeah no 
Um, that's a great point. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, how the two of you deal with criticism because you're mm-hmm. at a point now where you've, you know, have a few restaurants, people know you, and with mm-hmm. that sort of <clears throat> level of success comes a certain level of uh, scrutiny and criticism. So we'll talk about that. So it's Claudio Prile and Michael Bonaccini who are here with me until 9 p.m. You're listening to the Pay Chen Show here on In Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Now, back to the Pay Chen Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Thanks for tuning in tonight. PayChen.com is where you can go to catch podcasts of previous shows. You can also find it on iTunes, on Twitter, at PayChen. I have... Thoroughly enjoyed having these two gentlemen in studio with me tonight. Master Chef Canada judges, both chefs and restaurateurs, Michael Bonaccini from Oliver and Bonaccini and Claudio Aprile from uh, your group is Order Fire Restaurant Group. Yeah. And that encompasses your origin restaurants. That's right. So uh, well known in this city and then, of course, well known nationally because of uh, Master Chef Canada. And we were just teasing before the break. I wanted to talk to you about how you deal with... Um, with criticism, I think that comes in any job, in any career, but the two of you are are quite visible. You're quite well known. Your restaurants are very well known. They make a lot of top 10 year-end lists and such. Um, but it is difficult because when you are so well known, then people really want to look at you through a magnifying glass. Yeah, listen, this is what uh, you sign up for. I think it would be very naive of any... Uh chef to to think that they're gonna they're gonna be immune to uh criticism i mean we're dealing with with food right you know we're cooking food and um people have opinions about their food and how it tastes how it smells how it how it feels in their mouth uh price points everything so you are you you have a big target on you mm-hmm. um as as a chef um but i think it's uh you know, it's imperative to be able to deal with the the ups and the downs uh, when you are in um, in a public uh, career, such as being a chef. I think it's something that you have to deal with and get over it. And um, you know, I've changed a lot. When I was much younger, I would uh, I would go after the critics and I would voice my opinion. And uh, thank God Twitter wasn't you know around <laughs> back then. I would be I'd probably be in prison right now. Um, but um, you know, I've learned to just learn from the critiques if they're constructive mm-hmm. and um, move forward as quickly as possible and, and uh, you know, go on and get on with your life, really. Yeah. Now, Michael, you, there was a review that a lot of people talked about that came out um, just a few weeks ago in the Globe and Mail, and it was for America, the restaurant that's in the Trump Hotel that you are a part of. That's right. And it was great in some ways because it said the food was fantastic, but the, and then it said the service was terrible. So it was... On one hand, oh, this glowing review of the cooking and the food, and then the other hand, a, a really terrible review of the place. Um, how do you deal with something like that? Because you've been in the business for so many years. Does it get any easier? That's a great question. It, I, it really doesn't get any easier, to be honest with you, Pay. And when, whenever you you have a review and you, you know it's going to come out because we've had the phone call and, and someone's been in to take photographs, so you know it's it's either going to be this week or next week, and... You lose sleep over it. You worry about it. Uh, what's it going to say? What, what's it going to? How is it going to affect business? Et cetera, et cetera. And and it hurts. It 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 sort of it it does hurt. 
Um, and as Claudio said, back in the early days, I would, uh, my blood would boil and, and I would want to you know, speak to the, to the individual reviewer. And as you get older, you become a little wiser and say, look, we've got to take a look at these reviews, uh, analyze them, uh, sort of sort the chaff from the wheat. And uh, in, in our case at America, it was great about the food. The service took a little bit of a bashing. Uh, we've got great employees that work at the restaurant. They are uh, hardworking, honest, loyal individuals. We will work and develop and uh, grow that uh, business into into a stellar um, restaurant like we have mm -hmm. many of our other existing restaurants. So it, it takes a bit of um, a tough skin to, uh, to go through it. But, uh, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And uh, I, I do honestly think that... Um, at times you, you read these reviews and you say, oh, God, what do I need to do now? And you sort of worry to death about things. And, but you, you come back at it with a much more methodical mind and you uh, just keep doing what you do best. You put out great food, you deliver wonderful service, you develop and train staff, you keep it going. And uh, slowly but surely, uh, things things uh, right themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a long, slow process. But um, yeah. hey, if it was easy, we'd all be in the restaurant business, right? <laughs> That's true. If it was easy, we'd we'd all be in the restaurant There's business no for a long time. You know, there is no textbook though to dealing with criticism. Like, mm -hmm. You're not really taught that in school. You know, this is how you deal with something graciously, or you don't really know, um, especially as a young person, when you're putting your heart and soul into something. You know, like I really feel for uh, for sh for a chef that's starting off and they're an employee in a restaurant and they've put everything into their food and everything into that career up to that point and they get a negative review and then they fear for their for their job they think they might lose their job so I think there is a responsibility and I think there should be some sensitivity from the food critic the you know the uh, the reviewer and really trying to be um, not, I'm not saying they have to sugarcoat the review, but to be sensitive to the fact that this is, in some cases, a, a person who's starting off and to try and be encouraging. I mean, that's not their responsibility to do that. I get that. Um, but um, it, it's someone, someone's livelihood is, is on the line here. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, someone's on the I other think, end of it. I think that uh, you, you have a review like that from a, a reputable uh, source. Uh, there, we, we often look at our scores on open table for example, that uh, come from hundreds of guests that have had experiences. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, touch wood, things are, are trending very well on that, very strong for us. So uh, we'll keep at it. That's we great. Well, and I want to mention that Vinny White joins us now. Vinny, of course, on at 9 p.m. Uh, so this Hello. might be a good time to actually talk about the restaurants in the city and the food scene. Vinny has only lived here, uh, I don't know how long, two years? A couple years? of years, yeah. Yeah. So uh, Michael and Claudio, I'd like to know perhaps what you hope to see more of in the new year? Well, I don't think there's enough grilled octopus right now in the city. No, I'd like to hard, see. Hard I'd hard like hard to hard. see a lot more octopus on menus. Um, burgers. I think we really need to see a few more burger <laughs> restaurants. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, you know what? I think the food scene in Toronto right now is is the best it's ever been in the history of the city. I think it's exciting. It's vibrant. There is young talent emerging that are going to be the future. You know. O&Bs one day, I think, you know, mm -hmm. these young people that are coming up. And I think it's a really exciting time. And I think we're going to look back at this time in, you know, 10 years from now and pinpoint it as the food renaissance of, uh, oh, of Toronto. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Right. Michael, but, anything you, you hope, you wish you could see more of in the new year? Uh, well, that's a great question. I um, Look, I tell you what I do think is happening in the city, and I think this is terrific, is that there are great restaurants in 
all areas of our city. Whereas I think five, seven, eight years ago, you'd have to travel to a specific area of town to get a great dinner before you went to a show or before a game and so on. Now, uh, I think there are great restaurants popping up in areas of the city that you'd never seen them before. And I think that makes a neighborhood much more unique, uh, wonderful to live in. And as you decide where you want to travel, you can eat in a great uh, a great restaurant in the city. Yeah, there's a lot more available. Exactly. Um, Vinny. Hello. Where do you like to eat? I'm a bit lazy, so I Origin. often Origin. my... Um... Origin. <laughs> America. Origin. Origin. I America. I, I presume Origin is the name of your restaurant. Because I, I was thinking, yes. do I go all the way back to my origin, which would make meals very expensive for me. <laughs> um, no, I've never been to either of your restaurants. Sorry, gentlemen. Oh, boy. I'm sure they're terribly good. Um, terribly good. Yeah, it's an oxymoron. I'll reserve judgment for the moment until I check. But I'm, I've heard that. Where are you good. from? London. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Which, the by there. the way, if you're not the sure, it's like, actually pretty good. It's now. really good now. Yeah, it's the, uh, we hit our renaissance probably a few years ago. Yeah, the food in London is amazing now. It's, yeah, it's, it's on a great roll. Everyone, I think a lot of people that haven't been there think that it's all pie and mash and crappy fish pie and, and chips mash and, and liquor. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. I lived in London for ten years. Yeah, I thought you did. I can hear a little twang. A little twang. I lived there too. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying you're sitting on a banjo. I mean, you're, you're, I can hear a <laughs> ding a ding ding ding. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, what was the question? I've forgotten. What's, um, what... I was going to ask where you like to eat in the city. Where do I like to eat? I went to the Wellington pub because it's near me, which is mm-hmm. pretty good. Good atmos, always good. Steak in a bowl? In How a... does that work? I can't cut it up. It's in a bowl? That's criminal. They serve steak in a bowl. I, had to have... I don't usually complain, but that, I can't do my business. I can't get to it. That was a, in a mistake. Bowl. Do they Wasn't run it? out of plates? It was a no, that's the weird thing. <laughs> I, sort of, I was really polite about it. I said, I've never had steak in a bowl before, i.e., what the hell is my steak doing in a bowl? And they went, well, you've had everything now. And I went, well, yeah, but I can't cut it up. Okay, so how did you ask your steak to be cooked? Was it medium rare? Okay, so that's good. Because if that you would have asked her well done, they probably would have put it in a bowl to punish you. Yeah, and I, I accept that punishment. They could have put it in a dog medium bowl. Medium rare, though, that's yeah. okay. <laughs> Um, that's an, what's coming up on your show? Tonight, we talk about uh, a woman in on a Korean airline that... Um, oh, nuts. Did you hear about that? Yeah. Nutgate. Yeah. Um, yeah, she decided to... She got her nuts served... <laughs> sounds wrong. But she got her nuts served up in a bag as opposed to a bowl and sacked the employees, or tried to. Is well, it that's wrong? coming up on the Vinnie wow. White Show. I want to thank you Evil. both once again, Michael Bonaccini, Claudia Pillay, for joining me tonight. And uh, MasterChef Canada Holiday Special airs tomorrow night at 8pm on CTV and then Season 2 is to come uh, in the new year. So thank you both. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Have a great night, everyone.